This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. In late July, Artist Naples announced its full plans for the coming 2022-23 season. The overarching theme is distance devotion and recognition of the divisiveness and separation that have dominated the tumultuous last few years and the importance of connectedness and shared experiences, not just in our lives, but between art forms as well. The season includes masterworks, pops, jazz, and chamber music events, visiting orchestras, dance, and a Broadway series, as well as individual presentations, the 14th annual Naples International Film Festival, and powerful visual art exhibitions at the Baker Museum. Artist Naples' Masterworks series includes performances by celebrated artists, including soprano Renee Fleming, pianist Emmanuel Axe, and violinist James Ennis. Today, we're listening back to our recent conversation with Artist Naples CEO and President Kathleen Van Bergen all about the new season. Let's listen. Kathleen Van Bergen, welcome to Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Looking forward to next season. To engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. To begin, I wanted to focus on this overarching theme of distance devotion. Tell me about how you came to embrace this theme for this season and the meaning behind it. As you've probably noticed over the last number of years, the multidisciplinary mission of Artist Naples, our programming has grown and the, the multidisciplinary aspect has become more of a focus for us. We try to place some architecture into the season so that all of our offerings have a little more shape. And that doesn't mean that you can't come in or out of a certain concert or series or pick and choose your favorites. But for those who want to kind of weave through some more connected programming, we commit to a theme. And it helps us internally as we're planning, and then it also helps talk about the season externally. So it was undeniable that over the last three years, our world has shifted. And um, many people have realized what's important to them and have committed extra devotion to it. And we have also realized that distance can be overcome, but physical distance had its barriers in the beginning. So we, we started ruminating on these themes, and we didn't actually come up with the precise words until uh, closer to the end of the season shape, but we knew that it had something to do with love, devotion, commitment, and yet the challenges of the physical distances, sometimes intellectual differences and distance, and then things that impact our lives on a daily basis. So if you were to explore the Baker Museum season, obviously this story The Love Stories exhibition from the National Portrait Gallery has even love in its title. But it's not just happy, clappy love. There's not just sweetness in this story. You really do explore um, more complicated relationships and the view of, of love and partnership over the last few hundred years in portraiture. If you were to look at the Envisioning Evil exhibition, the Nazi drawings by Mauricio Lasansky, you will see great distance, great divide, incredible pain, but then also how this has shaped our lives as we look at war and the imagery of war. There's a more positive love story in the Naples Philharmonic season. The 
commissioned by Pulitzer Prize-winning composer, American composer Kevin Putz. He wrote a work called The Brightness of Light, and it's a meditation on the relationship between Georgia O'Keeffe and Alfred Stieglitz. So that's kind of a quintessential artist Naples piece, right? It has two artists and a, a gorgeous orchestral work with two singers, some visual elements to bring their relationship to life. So I hope that whether people felt closer to distance or closer to devotion as they look through the 2022-23 cultural offerings, there's something that resonates with them and this theme as well. Yeah, does Artist Naples' overall season usually fall under a theme, or did it just seem particularly important to do that this year, given, as you've mentioned, the tumultuous few years we've had? Mm -hmm. We have had themes in the past. Last year, we did not have one or the year before because of the planning around the pandemic. But in the past, we've had various themes about size and scale. We've had, um, yeah, I would say it's probably been five or six years since we've been committing to various themes to shape and give kind of an architectural message to our hundreds of offerings each year. Yeah, you know, we we have largely seen uh, kind of a return to normal in terms of doing away with mask requirements, people feeling more comfortable about public gatherings. Um, even so, the pandemic isn't over. And I, I'm curious if that has continued to pose challenges in putting together such a robust visual and performing arts season. Yes, we, we are feeling quite optimistic about the future. This season does feel as if we have learned to plan and work as a music industry, as a museum field, um, that we have learned how to put together a robust season. But we also know that there are different expectations backstage for dance companies, for Broadway um, touring productions, for orchestras. They work so closely together. There is still impact more on the behind-the-scenes messaging and protocols than in the, in the front of house and the audience experience. So we're looking quite optimistically toward the future. And even though we have still some plans to announce even more activities over the course of the next few months and, and into the fall, we're feeling like this season really is a tremendous return, and aren't we, aren't we ready for it? <laughs> if yes. we learned one thing over the course of the last few years, so many people have said that the experience of missing the performing arts, missing the communal experience of shared cultural activities, it, it validated that what we do is important to a community and important for our, our mental, spiritual, creative health. I wanted to highlight some of the exhibitions coming to the Baker Museum, and I'll start with the aforementioned love stories from the National Portrait Gallery London coming February 4th through May 7th. Um, I know the Baker Museum's director and chief curator, Courtney McNeil, had previously worked in the publications department of the National Gallery in London. Um, anything behind the scenes you can tell us? Did, did she have connections there that perhaps helped facilitate this exhibition? We are grateful to have Courtney's leadership here as our director chief curator for the Baker Museum, and she had some connections in London, but um, it's a small world. She is uh, tied into various uh, leadership and colleagues around um, not only this country, but obviously internationally. Um, the National Portrait Gallery London is currently closed for a major renovation. 
and this provided the sweet opportunity to present uh, a monumental traveling exhibition of theirs. Um, you may have heard that it is only in two places in the United States. It was at the Worcester Art Museum in Massachusetts, and now it is coming to us here. So we are quite honored to be able to present this Love Stories exhibition celebrating portraiture for over three centuries. You'll see um, some classical, you'll see some um, uh, all of their permanent collection, I should say, from the National Portrait Gallery. And there's even a little hint of pop culture in the mix as we see everything from photography to painting to sculpture. It's really going to be quite a highlight in our season. Wonderful. And you know, I understand that professional exhibitions of the caliber that you bring to the Baker Museum, these are often years in the making. And I know that when McNeil came on, I imagine she was overseeing the unveiling of exhibitions that had already been in the works before she was on board. But now that she's been with the Baker for a couple of years, are we seeing more of McNeil's direct influence on exhibitions that are coming for the upcoming season? Yes, this is her season. I will say that when she started early in, uh, it was January of 2021, um, this was one of the first commitments she made. And it was really exciting that she was able to secure it for us. Um, and even though we had to wait until the winter of 23 for it to open, um, like you say, we're planning many years out. And so we are thrilled to see the shape of the season under her leadership. I think there's only one exhibition that kind of carried over prior to her tenure, and it was the Envisioning Evil exhibition, the Nazi drawings by Maurizio Lasansky. This is a partnership with the Minneapolis Institute of Arts, MIA, in um, Minnesota. And due to the pandemic, there were closures, moving of art. This exhibition was delayed in MIA, in Minneapolis, and therefore it impacted our planning. And as Courtney talks about this exhibition, um, we all agree that it almost is more relevant now. War is present in our news daily, in um, our lives. If we read a paper, look at Twitter, um, read your Instagram, um, the presence of war images is daily. And when this was originally planned, we, we did not have that relevance. Um, the, these drawings, these monumental large-scale works were created during the Eichmann trials. And so it was the first televised war criminal, Adolf Eichmann. Um, and these drawings were to help people grapple with the emotions and the actions of the, the Holocaust. And so when we think about how news coverage through art, through photography, has changed over this period of time, um, this is a really relevant exhibition, even more now than it was when it was originally planned. Um, and I have to say we have wonderful partnerships being established with the Holocaust Museum in town and others in various exhibitions to make sure that we are presenting this topic sensitively and that we have support and educational programming around this exhibition. It's so important for this one in particular. I, I mean, I, I've seen several of the pieces mm -hmm. and, and Lozanski's anger is, it's palpable. These are not subtle works. They're not easy to look at, some of them. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it really yeah. is interesting. Um, and an interesting, perhaps, painful beauty. Yes, yes, that's the perfect way to put it. And and I noticed maybe an accidental connection there. 
um, you have pianist Emmanuel Axe performing Beethoven through the Masterworks series. And he came from a Polish-Jewish family in Ukraine. Both of his parents were Nazi concentration camp survivors. Um, so again, not necessarily part of the presentation, but just interesting, those, those threads kind of working beneath the surface. Those artist Staples connections, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also an exhibition coming to the Baker Museum October 14th through next July called Florida Contemporary 2022-23. Does the Baker Museum make it a point to highlight visual artists that you know operate specifically here in Florida? Yes, we like to celebrate the art that's being created here in our state and have some representation from all around the state and people of different backgrounds. We have not actually announced these three artists yet, but we will shortly. Um, they have been selected, but um, sorry, John, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that announcement. I can be patient. Yoon and our, our <laughs> It'll be worth the wait. <laughs> Our curator of modern art and Courtney McNeil are working on um, this exhibition together. And one of the beautiful parts of our commitment to Florida Contemporary is that it is really on exhibit all season. These are works in the Hayes Hall galleries. So if you entered Hayes Hall, there are four different galleries two downstairs and two upstairs. And one of them celebrates the work of Louise Nevelson. And then the other three will be a single gallery for each of the Florida contemporary artists. So from October, as you said, through July next summer, um, these artist works are on exhibit. You can see them obviously during all the museum hours, but they're also available for viewing and some contemplation uh, pre-concert, during intermission, post-concert. It's really wonderful. All right. Well, let's um, segue and talk Broadway. I know beautiful The Carol King musical has been canceled for the entire national tour. There's nothing specific to Artist Naples about this. But uh, February 7th through the 12th, we are going to be treated to performances of On Your Feet, the story of Emilio and Gloria Estefan. Uh, what can you tell me about this show? Uh, well, we were pleased to have this added to our season. Um, I think everyone can remember the sounds of the, you know, Miami Sound Machine and all of the hits from from Emilio and Gloria Estefan. It feels wonderful to see their life, their life and artistry brought to the stage, and um, we're really looking forward to this addition. It it is a nice replacement, still celebrating um, a musical artist. Uh, it's definitely different music than that of Carol King, but to place that into the season with Hades Town and Disney's Aladdin, um, Jesus Christ Superstar and Mean Girls, I think it really will be um, some iconic rhythms um, on the stage in Hayes Hall. Yeah, absolutely. I am um, just incidentally, I, I did get to attend the Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine concert that she gave in 1990, um, the last concert before that tragic accident where it was believed she would never walk again. And I only bring that up to say it, right. it was just silly that there were even seats in the venue because nobody was sitting down. <laughs> it was, uh, it's it's very lively. <laughs> What's the joke there? The rhythm got you. The rhythm is going to get Rhythm's you. Rhythm's going to get you. Yes. You. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, 
and you mentioned Mean Girls is coming in April. Um, I, I mean, definitely, a, a, I think a coveted show. That's one of the ones that I, I would have gotten on a plane and gone to New York to see if I could have. Um, you know, famed Tina Fey is behind yeah. this. I think a lot of people are familiar with the plot from the film. Um, this seems like a great get for Artist Naples, too, and certainly something that expands accessibility, perhaps, to you know, audience demographics that might not come to Artist Naples all the time. I, I love that you're thinking that way. I'm a big fan of Tina Fey, and I think the placement of it in April, kind of at the end of the Broadway season, it's the last title. Um, hopefully people will see it as a, a real exclamation point at the end of the season. Looking forward to having Mean Girls here. But to your point, there is a lot of, of balance in the season. We have our first... Disney Broadway production coming to the Hayes Hall stage in Aladdin. And in late January, we're really looking forward to the production values and the um, quality and excitement that a Disney production has. Yeah, absolutely. And again, bringing in those those new audiences. Um, let's talk mm-hmm. dance for a minute. You've got the Philadelphia-based contemporary ballet company, Ballet X, coming in November. Um, can you tell me much about this group or, or Artist Naples' approach when it comes to balancing traditional ballet performances with contemporary dance? Yes, the dance series this year offers four different performances. Two of them are anchored with the wonderful decades-long relationship with the Miami City Ballet. And those performances will be in February and April. And I think people have become accustomed and really grateful to hear the live music of the Naples Philharmonic performing with uh, the Miami City Ballet. And we have extended that commitment so that we have the Naples Philharmonic performing with two contemporary dance companies, literally coast to coast. One, as you mentioned, Ballet X, a Philadelphia-based contemporary ballet company, and the other, Alonzo King Lions Ballet. They are San Francisco-based. Both of these are cutting edge at the forefront of contemporary dance, but yet obviously still part of our artistic innovations in the world of ballet. So to look from November through end of April, have four completely different performances and three different companies, we're really excited to have, again, live music, which takes extra time and rehearsal and preparation when a a dance company is touring to meet with the orchestra to rehearse here. But it is so much more impactful, rewarding, to listen to the live music versus something on tape. So this is a commitment to celebrating the sounds of the Naples Philharmonic with dance on stage. All right. And, and a seasonal favorite, the Nutcracker Ballet, is coming back. This is a lovely tradition, one that I have done year over year, uh, but one that I think also truly speaks to mm-hmm. artist Naples' broad influence. Years ago, I interviewed a dancer who was from the Naples area, and she was performing at Artist Naples with a contemporary dance company, but she had actually gotten her start as one of those very, very young company members performing the Nutcracker at Artist Naples. Oh, that makes my heart happy. I think the exposure and participation to any kind of traditional performance, whether it's the Nutcracker, the Holiday Pops, your first Beethoven Five, your first... Uh, Mozart concerto, it really does stay with you. And this this partnership with Naples Ballet for the Nutcracker has been really a wonderful new tradition for us. We, we're committed to bringing the Nutcracker to our stage. And um, 
I, I'm glad you shared that with me. Thank you. Naples Ballet has been a wonderful partnership, again, with the music of the Naples Philharmonic. And um, great, great stage moments. I, I think we all love those special times and can account them. Yeah, absolutely. Music performances will include uh, Beethoven's Violin Concerto uh, performed by soloist James Inez. I noticed he lives in Ellington, Florida, and I'm curious if that maybe makes him easier to book or when you're talking about artists of this caliber, that's just a happy coincidence. Yes, we lean into that. James is known as a Canadian violinist, but we like to call him a Floridian as well. He's right up the road, as you mentioned. And um, his performance of the Beethoven Concerto is something I'm looking forward to this year personally. I also have to highlight that he will be spending some time on both of our Naples Philharmonic Chamber Music Series. He will be performing on the Wang Chamber Music Series, which includes musicians of the Naples Philharmonic, and then also on the Seipert Salon series. So we'll hear him play the Isai Sonata for solo violin, um, and then he'll be joining the Dvorak String Quintet with musicians from the Naples Philharmonic. Um, and then in the other series, the Seipert Salon series, he'll be playing some Paganini Caprices, which are arguably some of the most difficult technically demanding pieces for solo violin, and then performing with musicians of the Naples Philharmonic, the Schubert Octet. This is something that our recently completed music director, Andre Bareko, instilled in our planning, right? We would have the opportunity to bring wonderful artists like James Ennis, who play all over the globe to the Masterwork series for a concerto opportunity, but then convince them to stay a little bit longer and collaborate with musicians of the Naples Philharmonic in a chamber music concert. And this is such a gift to be able to see the diversity, the flexibility, the versatility of his musicianship, both in the commanding Beethoven violin concerto, but then in this very intimate, collaborative approach of of chamber music. And it is helpful in the calendrical challenges to be able to have him only an hour or so away. (laughs) So yes, we'll lean into that as much as we can. All right. (laughs) Well, on the subject of the the Beethoven Violin Concerto, at least just tangentially, um, you have this multimedia program with Ichak Perlman. And his 1980 recording of the Beethoven Violin Concerto is like the one that I hear in my head when I think of that piece. Uh, but that's just oh, why yeah. I saw that connection. But mm-hmm. tell me about this multimedia program on March 12th. I'm really looking forward to that. So I think we know that Itzhak Perlman, if you've heard him on anything from Sesame Street to radio interviews, he is he's a legend. He has a great sense of humor. His life stories are moments that hold you at, at his at his fingertips. So this evening is really all about him and his life and telling stories, including historic photos, clips from his documentary, and um, his long-term partnership with his collaborative pianist, who he performed recitals with for decades. So I think this is a, a real special evening to hear him talk a little bit, as well as see some some historical context of the the legendary violinist that he is. 
All right. I know on October 30th, the Philharmonic Orchestra is going to be performing that very familiar John Williams score from the film Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> pretty timely with the, the new Jurassic Park film coming out now, bringing in a lot of those stars from the original <laughs> film. Um, actually, I have a very close friend who just got to do this with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra, and she and the rest of that flute section were playing some of the biggest darn flutes I've ever seen. Uh, what can you tell me about this performance? <laughs> Uh, well, yes, it was obviously intentionally chosen with the new release. This is the closing night of the Naples International Film Festival. It's the 14th annual NIF Festival. It's hard to believe. Um, we have been receiving submissions to the festival. We're already over 800 film submissions. And this whole process includes different screenings and selection to what will end up being about 60-plus films throughout the weekend. Now, those films are all independent new films. And then what has become a tradition is on the closing night to use the forces, and as you described, those, the instrumentation of John Williams' scores requires all sorts of instruments that are not necessarily um, performed on a, on a nightly basis in, in a Beethoven concerto. So we have the closing night using the incredible sounds of the Naples Philharmonic, hearing the score live as we watch the film in Hayes Hall. So um, I remember seeing Jurassic Park the first time, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing the Naples Philharmonic uh, bring some of those action-packed moments to life. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, you had previously mentioned the Wang Chamber Music series, including a performance, uh, well, that's going to include a performance, rather, of Dvorak's String Quintet Number no. 3. And I noticed that program also included Mallory Coleman's Afro-Cuban Concerto. And I was wondering, like, well, what's the connection there? But I, I had actually studied the Dvorak American String Quartet with a group I performed with years and years and years ago and remembered that that piece, I guess until about the mid-20th century, it was sort of crudely referred to as Dvorak's Negro Quartet in deference to Dvorak's influences of African-American music. It was written in 1893 when he was uh, in the United States. And so I just thought that was an interesting connection there because both this Dvorak piece having the influence of African-American music, although it's not necessarily something that's emphasized so much, and then bringing in the Afro-Cuban influence into that same concert. And it just made me realize or appreciate the, the detailed level of curation that goes into selecting the music in all of these performances. Thank you for taking the time to... To be curious about that, John, I really appreciate it. And Valerie Coleman is not only a composer, she's also a flutist. She's having great success right now, and I think you'll find that her sound and her writing and her rhythms are, are really, really beautifully composed and will stay with you. I mean, she's, she's just been a tremendous, newly celebrated voice in American music right now. We're about out of time, but there's so much more we could talk about. Um, are there any specific offerings in the coming season that we haven't highlighted yet that you're particularly enthusiastic about? Well, um, I mean, I could talk about the season for, for hours and hours. I think one thing I would like to maybe end on is another kind of artist Naples 
moment, we didn't talk that much about the Naples Philharmonic Pop Series. And obviously, we enjoy the leadership of Jack Everly, our principal pops conductor. He is bringing the um, Tony Award-winning singer Kelly O'Hara uh, for a whole week. So there will be six performances um, celebrating, obviously, lots of classic, but also contemporary Broadway hits with Kelly O'Hara, Jack Everly on the podium, and the Naples Philharmonic. And the interesting part about that is that Kelly's husband, Greg Naughton, and Greg happens to be one of the founding band members in a group called The Sweet Remains. And they will be performing in the Daniels Pavilion that same week, so it's kind of a, a family affair to come to Florida the end of January. And then um, the first way we met Greg was through the Naples International Film Festival a few years ago. And so we will also be showing a screening of um, his film called The Independence, which is based on the music and the activities and the life of the band. So in that one week, you could hear um, The Sweet Remains, you could see the screening of The Independence, and you could hear the Naples Philharmonic with Kelly O'Hara in Hayes Hall. And I just think that's a fun connection between sizes, disciplines, and obviously style. All right, excellent. Well, that is unfortunately all the time we have, but I want to thank my guest. We've been speaking with Artist Naples CEO and President Kathleen Van Bergen, highlighting the recently announced full upcoming visual and performing arts season at Artist Naples for 2022-23. And for more information, visit artistsnaples.org. And I really do want to emphasize this is a robust season. There's truly something for everybody, so please check it out. Kathleen Van Bergen, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you next season. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO, Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.